Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, I'm Kirsty. And I'm Kelsey. And it's time to hate watch with us. Welcome to our variety show for sarcastic people who may slightly have the plague, but who are very excited to celebrate our favorite holiday of the year. Yes, it's another Haywatch holiday. I'm going to rasp my way through it, but I'm hype as hell to be here for it. We are so hype. We are so hype because this Haywatch holiday is Columbus Day. Some of you out there might be coming off of your three-day weekend celebrating the other terrible Christopher Columbus, <laughs> but we're here to celebrate a more contemporary awful Christopher Columbus. Oh, <laughs> uh, he is the white breadest of Christopher Columbus's somehow. <laughs> it's true. There's definitely less smallpox. Yeah. With this one. A fair bit less genocide. That also. we know of. That we know of. You can never be too sure. <laughs> they both ruined their own industries, though. They did. That's what they have in common. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> anyway... Um, so this this Christopher Columbus is, of course, the one who directed the first two Harry Potter movies. As well as a number of other rather questionable 90s classics. Maybe they have a cult following somewhere. Well, Home Alone definitely does. Yeah. So last year we celebrated by talking about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Home Alone. And every year, we will celebrate by discussing one of his two Harry Potter movies and another Christopher Columbus film. So this year, we are going to be discussing Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and the 90s rom-com Nine Months. Yes, we will. The other really funny thing about the fact that we watched Nine Months this year is that we scheduled this last year around the time that we recorded the first Columbus Day episode. And we didn't know I was prego at the time. <laughs> sure didn't. Nope. So that, um, you know, came full circle quite nicely. Yeah, Kirstie has some real experience to bring to this conversation. I do. <laughs> I sure do. So let's start with Harry Potter, because that's easy. It is easy, supposedly. Although I can't tell you the last time I watched Chamber of Secrets. I think I watched it fairly recently. I think not too long after we moved into the house, I watched all eight of them. That's an ambitious project. I, I don't know. I do it a couple times a year because I have no life. <laughs> because you're supposed to be watching other content. Because <laughs> I'm supposed to be watching other content and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, Chamber of Secrets is pretty much the cookie-cutter twin sister of Sorcerer's Stone in terms of, like, the content of... Nope, not the content. 
<laughs> the content of its character. The opposite of the content. The, like, look and feel and nature of the film. <laughs> it's a basic bitch of a movie. Mm-hmm. Which turns out is Chris Columbus's aesthetic. Yes, it's true. I have caused, like, many a scandal in my time, uh, because for a long time, this was my favorite movie. Why? Because it was just so easy. You know, it's like, not easy to like Chamber of first, Secrets. It's like, like arguably the worst one. But they were just like so simple and so wholesome and just like so much of what they were. It was so easy. It really didn't Either. demand much of you at all. It's a pretty simple plot compared to some of the other ones. Yeah. And I think for a while there, I, especially, like, in my teenage years as we were getting to, like, the sixth and seventh book, I was kind of rebelling against where the stories were going. Because it, I don't know, it felt like somewhere along the line there was this, like, huge divergence from what I felt like the original spirit of the stories was supposed to be. But I also started reading them when I was in third grade, so... Uh, it's possible my expectations were a little skewed. <laughs> you think so? A little bit, yeah. I don't know that I have a particular feeling about the Chamber of Secrets because I feel like it's forgettable. Uh -huh. Like, all of the other ones I remember, like, the key plot points of. In Chamber of Secrets, like, you know uh, that it's the Chamber of Secrets, but nothing about it really stands out to me. And... I kind of hate everything about it. <laughs> Although, even on I, when I just listened to the book recently-ish, I do love Gildory Lockhart and all yes. of his ridiculousness. He's excellent. And I will say that he's excellent in the movie, too. So they did something right. They did. I think that... As with most things, was in spite of Chris Columbus, though. <laughs> so many things happen in spite of Chris Columbus. Yeah, like, the actor who played Gilderoy Lockhart just, like, didn't need direction. No. And so I think he was able to act pretty independently. And it was just the rest of the cast that really suffered. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a good world when you're dealing with Chris Columbus. Yeah. Some of the things that I hate about this movie <laughs> that I can recall um, include, well, the only thing I can recall at this moment is <laughs> him, like, triumphantly killing the basilisk and it being, like, the worst possible shot in human history on camera <laughs> of him being like, oh, I with the, the, the thing. The basilisk thing? Yeah. 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 It's just like, this movie feels cheap, and everything about it is cheap, and I hate it. I do always remember hating the set that they made oh. for the chamber. Yes. Um, it looked like it was made out of styrofoam. It did. And at no point in the books was the chamber described as having, like, a giant sun face. <laughs> like, I think they were trying to go for something snake-like, but it really just looks like a big weird sun. Yeah. 
Um, so they done goofed on that one. They did. Is this also yeah. the one with the car? Yes. They did this badly. They did it very badly. But they Although, were so proud of their was special what, effects. Like 2003? Something like that, yeah. It was 2002. Wow, you were close. I was real close. So yeah, like, the special effects were not great. No. Also, the special effects for Dobby were just, oh. like, real, real iffy. Yeah. He yeah. was not ideal. You want to know a real unpopular opinion, and I'm, like, prepared to lose followers over this. Okay, tell me. I have never liked Dobby. I don't like Dobby either. Thank God I have never found another person <laughs> who feels this way. I just, like, Dobby's fine. I don't know. I think he's, like, kind of annoying and kind of, like, extra... And I don't think J.K. Rowling ever, like, brought the plane in for landing on the whole, like, house self-liberation thing. No, she did not. And also, like, the amount of pages that have been spent on Dobby that could have just not been written. Yeah. Like, somebody needed an editor to just say no. Somebody did. Although Chamber of Secrets was a short, short book, so if they took out Dobby, I don't know what was left. Honestly, I would have been fine... Never having Chamber of Secrets. (laughs) Okay, but Chamber of Secrets is important for a few reasons. This is the hill I'm going to die on. No, I know. I just read the sixth one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's important because it foreshadows Horcruxes. Yeah. It's important because there's a lot of bonding between the trio. Like, the whole thing with the Polyjuice Potion is, like, really when they were cemented in their, like, hijinks. Yeah. And when Hermione, like, really came to the forefront as, like, a hijinks leader. Okay. And um, also something about Ginny, I think. Don't even get me started on Ginny Weasley. Ginny Weasley, I think, was, like, the great missed opportunity of, like, the whole storytelling apparatus in Harry Potter. <laughs> yes. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> you do not know how to write a rom-com. <laughs> No, nope, nope. That's why I hate the sixth book so much, because the sixth book was the moment when she was like, oh, I guess teenagers are horny, huh? It's, like, written in this weird place where she's like, I want it to be PG, but I also want them to have boners. Right, constantly. But also, like, I didn't build it into the narrative anywhere that they would be having boners, so now let's arbitrarily do some matchmaking. Right. And he has... No reason throughout this entire series to actually like Ginny that's actually written into the book. Like, she's just an average person. There's nothing special except that she writes, like, Harry felt something when she touched his hand. Like, but she, like, cool, cool, cool. She, like, maybe could have been. Because, like, She's, like, kind of a free spirit. She doesn't let anyone to tell her what to do, and she's athletic and smart and capable. They just, like, kind of say that once in a while and then move on. Well, right. Like, the characterization isn't there. Right. To help her. Right. <laughs> or anyone. It's nonsense. And then Ron's like, I'm not getting any. Why am I not getting any? I, I, <laughs> am, I have a lot of anger. 
about the level of rom-com that was not served to me in this series. It was done so poorly. That, however, was one of the few things that was not Christopher Columbus's fault, so... No, it wasn't. This is not... Speaking of bringing the plane in for landing. Right. One thing that continued to be Christopher Columbus's fault, and I know we talked about this last time, was that everything is done verbatim from the book. Yep. No intelligent choices are made to depart from the book for, like, narrative reasons or creative reasons or time reasons, really any reason. And I was reading this article earlier that I sent to you um, Mm -hmm. that was a critique of this movie, and the person who wrote this on this random website called Tor.com, so who knows, said the following sick, sick, sick burn that I need to share with everyone (laughs) about the acting in this movie. And he was talking about how some of the older actors are more qualified and can deal with having no direction, like you said earlier. And then he said, some others fall victim to Columbus's haphazard direction, particularly the kids who aren't as prepared as classically trained veterans to create an entire performance out of thin air. Multiple times, Dan Radcliffe's Harry leads Ron and Hermione to the middle of a room, stops, and shouts dialogue at them. This is not bad acting. It's a director not having his actors back, as well as an example of the director caring more about the slavishly recapitulate about, hold on, I can't deliver the bad <laughs> line poorly, um, this isn't bad acting, it's a director not having his actors back, as well as an example of the director caring more about slavishly recapitulating the events in the source book than about making an actual movie. Touche. 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 What's funny about it, having now seen two Chris Columbus films that are not Harry Potter, is that this is such an issue for him. Yes. Like, he just doesn't know how to make actors act like people. And, like, at least here you can, like, complain that he was leaning on the source material as a crutch. But, like, in nine months, what's his excuse? It's like he went to college and got a degree in directing or whatever, filmmaking, and he just had the right amount of enablement to get him there, but no talent. (laughs) Which is like the story of white men, but... (laughs) True that. It's like someone just said, sure, you go off and do that, and no one actually stopped to be like, well, what is the content that we're getting from him? Yeah, I remember last year, as part of this, we, like, read his whole Wikipedia biography to try to figure out how he, like, came to be, and I now can't remember what that story was, but I do remember that it was, like, the typical tale of the white man coming to power, where it was, like some one fortuitous thing happened and then suddenly he had his own production studio. Right. And he's, he's just so vanilla. So vanilla. Like he, his, what else was interesting in this article that now that I think about it is just 
so true everywhere is that he only does these like middle shots that are like he doesn't do close-ups he doesn't do landscapes yeah he only does these like middle i don't know what what is the word that i'm thinking of uh this article says medium close-ups which feels right (laughs) yeah like go with that he only does one he also doesn't appreciate the rule of thirds no i don't think he knows what that is no, he ain't got no time for that. Which maybe blows my college education story, because that's the only thing we learned. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Basically, all of media production was like, rule of thirds, and also, don't zoom. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, there is this one shot in Chamber of Secrets, it's at the end when Harry's in the chamber, which is like this, um, like, cockeyed zooming shot into, like, Harry's face as oh, he's, like, yeah. in the chamber with, like, the snakes behind it. And whenever I think of that movie, I just see that shot in, like, my mind's eye. Which I- is a really unfortunate way to, like, remember that film. I feel like it was in the promotional materials. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think it was. That could be why. I think I remember as, like a small child going to see this movie or a medium child going to see this movie that I wasn't, I was still like hyped up on the fact that we had Harry Potter, but I was a little lukewarm on this movie and I don't think I would have admitted it, but Mm -hmm. I, it just was the same. Like I didn't go out and get the soundtrack to Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets like I had with the first (laughs) one. Cause I was like, well, I have one, you have them all, right? Yeah. No, that is definitely true, because Chris Columbus did not stray from the original score. No. He did not. I I remember, I mean, obviously liking this movie since it was my favorite for, like, a good while. And I think I argued this last year, and it's a viewpoint that I think I'll stand by in spite of my very um, unfriendly feelings towards Christopher Columbus and his body of work. Which is that I think he was an appropriate director in some ways for where the series was at at the time. I don't know that, like, if it were all to be done again, like, Harry Potter was still just being released and, like, the global phenomena was just starting and we all had this long view of where the series was going that it would still be an appropriate choice. But at the time, there were only, like, the first three books out And in my mind, like, the series is sort of broken down by, like, the first three books are a thing, like, four and five are a thing, and then, like, six and seven are a thing. Yep. And if you just look at one through three, there's, like, a very different vibe, very different tone, like, completely different quality to it. They, all three of them read, like, books for young children. Yeah. And then they... start to age out as you move up through the series and at that time like book adaptations were still like not a new concept they certainly existed in film but at like the scale and like level of mainstream acceptance that harry potter was at that was like a fairly new phenomena and so his job was to just go out there and make the book into a movie i don't think anyone ever told him he was allowed to be creative 
Not that he was the person who could have been, but I also don't think anyone told him that. Like, I don't think the studio went in there and was like, you know, here's the source material, but have at it. I'm quite certain they were like, you gotta, you gotta do this thing. Do the thing. Yeah. I don't know that the f- fans were prepared to have a dis- an experience that was different than the book. So right, in that way, right. maybe it was smart. I Because by then, his body of work was so well known, they must have known that he w- was only capable of so much. <laughs> he was capable of very limited styles. Yeah. Yeah. I think my... I've just been... Since I finished Outlander, the first book... Yeah. Guys, we're going to talk about Outlander. (laughs) (laughs) Every episode can be an Outlander episode if you try hard enough. I'm trying. No, but since (laughs) I just finished the book, and after having seen the show and listened to, like, the podcast and everything, it's been interesting to see an adaptation that was from the get-go saying we aren't going to do everything by the book and they really wanted to like deconstruct it and add in their own things and make it better or yeah. shorter or just different um maybe worse i don't know <laughs> but it's been interesting to see that and i think it made for a more interesting product because reading the book felt like something like familiar but brand new at the same time yeah which is not the case especially with these first two movies of harry potter like you read the book or you watch the movie it's the same exact story told the same way and you're not really getting anything more out of either version right which does such a great disservice to like the idea of format you know, like yes. films, films are a different narrative tool than books are. And it's a huge disservice to it to just like try to replicate the book and call it a day. Yeah. And I think to your point that those are short books. I think that's the only reason why he was able to do that, because the second they start getting longer, they at least had to make some choices for time's sake. Mm-hmm. in those like later movies except for the seventh one which i don't want to address <laughs> well and except for the fourth one because um i can't remember who directed that one but that one was happening in like the era of the lord of the rings movies when every yeah. movie was like four hours long and so that movie is like four hours long yeah that plot is and still pretty disgusting. simplistic too though yeah like that one is written on it, intentionally i think like a game so you have to go like from point A to point B. To true, point C. true. Yeah. But I know what you're saying. That one is a struggle. Yeah. That was the one I hated seeing in theaters the most. And that's even given my like passionate hatred, not hatred, passionate, uh, conflicted feelings, I suppose, with the sixth book and movie. Wow. I don't know which one I hated the most. I just wish they'd made some different choices, which I know they did later on, but it right. almost felt like it was too late because Chris Columbus made the choices he made. Yeah. So, like, one thing I know I talked about before, probably, was that I liked that they ended up switching them to wear street clothes, which felt like a 
natural thing, <laughs> which yeah. they do in the third one. But then, like, inexplicably in, like, the first of seven, seven A, yeah. they play music. <laughs> yeah. Like, pop-ish music. And it's yeah. never happened in the entire series. It's like, if that was something that they did, that would have been something interesting to bring to the whole series and make it unique. But they chose to wait until the second to last movie to introduce it, and everyone was like, why is this happening? Right. There's a lot of problems with that scene, though. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, hey, Dave Yates, you want to maybe, like, cool it? It was almost the rom-com I wanted, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unacceptable. Come on. That's the rom-com everyone wanted. No, I will absolutely never allow it. <laughs> you know I have an ongoing crusade about the encroachment of rom-coms into very wholesome platonic friendships. And David Yates, for the love of God, <laughs> had to go and ruin everything when J.K. Rowling herself had already fucked the whole thing up. It was just more than I could bear. <laughs> wow. This is a grudge I will die with. It will go to the grave with me. Wow. I didn't you know, know the worst was, was here. <laughs> it was already bad enough that JK put Ron and Hermione together, which was absolute nonsense. Mm -hmm. But then she went on her fucking Twitter tirade, as she does, where she was like, oh, Ron and Hermione shouldn't have actually been together. I think they probably would have gotten divorced. And not only did she say that, but later she followed up saying that Harry and Hermione should have gotten together. And I'm over here like... Why do any of them have to get together? There are other <laughs> witches and wizards out there who all have boners for the trio. They don't need to be so incestuous. They can just be besties. But obviously they can't because they can't even pitch Ginny as an appropriate partner for her for him. Because they don't know how to write characters who have boners for anyone. <laughs> the only person who has a boner is Moaning Myrtle. <laughs> in which Moaning Myrtle is all of us at all times. <laughs> Mad respect. She's like, I was in the bath with you, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> My God, can you imagine if Chris Columbus could have directed that scene? It would have been horrible. You know Harry would have slipped on like a soap puddle or something and banged his head somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it would have been... Just quite a different time. Although Morning Wordle was in this movie. She was, but more differently. Yeah. I just, I don't like this movie, and I don't like Chris Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> what every Columbus Day comes down to. Yeah, the story of every Columbus Day is like, why did this happen? Right. But speaking of um, just more Chris Columbus in general, yeah. and how he has other people direct scenes with actual boners, mm. um, <laughs> should, should we transition into our other topic? We should. Um, so, because we chose this film, we have accidental rom-com vacation happening. Yep. 
I had never seen this particular rom-com because I have some taste. (laughs) (laughs) And Kirstie certainly hadn't seen it. No. But here we are. And if I'm honest, I was really happy to watch this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's a surprisingly lukewarm evaluation of how she actually felt in the moment that she was watching this movie, which I'm able to say because I was on the receiving end of her she Slack was. messages about it. She was. Like, as Columbusy as this movie is, and it is probably peak Columbus, to it be is honest. Peak Columbus, for sure. It had been so long since I had seen a 90s rom com with floppy hair Hugh Grant, and I was just <laughs> like so delighted to be in this, like, warm, happy place of 90s rom-coms that are, like, 94% problematic and (laughs) colored a little bit too saturated. Like, it was just really great. I had a good time. (laughs) I was definitely in my happy place. It is a good time. It, yeah. It is. It's it's a very harmless, very dumb movie. (laughs) Yeah, so this movie called Nine Months is about floppy hair Hugh Grant, like I said, uh, and his girlfriend who gets pregnant and he doesn't really want kids and it's basically about him coming to terms with wanting kids, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's it, right? Yep. (laughs) Yep. It's that simple. Um, and they somehow end up with, like, these weird, this weird couple friends. Yeah. Who have kids, and so, like, they just follow them around the whole time, like, I don't know, trying to make them want to have kids, I guess. It was so 90s. It, like, almost hurt how 90s it was. (laughs) There was a lot of, like, women trying to have it all. Yeah. (laughs) But through the lens of, like... How can we make a useless man look like a good man? Which is the story of Hugh Grant. I mean, this was, like, truly such a male movie. Like, I know I talked in our last episode about, like, male movies. (laughs) But this was so fucking male. But it was male made for women also. Yeah. Or made for dates. Couples watching together? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, like, the target demographic was women because it was a rom-com, but it, it's a movie about men by men. Like, it is, it has a male lens, like, not the male (laughs) gaze, because that's a thing, but it's, like, a very male lens. (laughs) My notes say, does Chris Columbus exist only for the mediocre white man? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that That's the spirit of it. It's like, I watched this movie, and this is a thing I've been thinking about a lot in These Are Modern Times, but I've been thinking a lot about the ways that women are complicit in the actions of men. Yeah. And this whole time, I watched <laughs> this movie and just thought, like, these men don't know women, have never met women are very confused about what happens to and around women. And yet there are women in this movie. Oh, yeah. Who just 
let it happen. Who just said, you know, I'm all right with this. This works for me. (laughs) There's just so much. Especially, like, in the childbirth scene, I was just like, there's got to be, like, a single woman. Oh, (laughs) we will get there. Who just... (laughs) There has to be at least one woman somewhere who was like, could we not, though? (laughs) I watched that whole scene thinking about what you were going to tell me about that scene. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a multitude of thoughts. (laughs) Uh, so, in, like, the beginning of this movie, um, there's a line that I thought was funny, and I thought it was going to tell me how the rest of the movie was, and it turned out I was wrong. (laughs) Which line? Speaking of men. Because she tells him that she's pregnant, and he goes, he goes, there's no way you could have had your period and just not noticed, right? And that was, like... (laughs) The most inept male response I could possibly think of. And I was like, that's because actually she really even funny. Correct him. She doesn't correct him either. Right. Like, <sighs> that was when I learned that it wasn't that they were being knowing and funny about men not understanding anything. It was that they really no. had asked that question in the room and someone had said, write that down. Yep. That's what I mean when I say this is such a male movie. Mm-hmm. There was not a, like, Julianne Moore was in that scene. She could have stopped them and been like, yo, that's the opposite of how menstruation works. I'm just throwing it out there. Do you want to rewrite the line? We can workshop this. <laughs> I would have taken that line had her response been better. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Like, there's a way to play that really well, and there's a way to do it the way Chris Columbus chose to do it. And just no one stopped it. No one stopped it. Not a single person. Uh, Um, how did you feel about the turtlenecks in this movie? (laughs) I just have to ask. (laughs) You know, I have to be honest, I don't think I noticed any. Oh my god. I noticed multiple costumes i had notes about costumes uh-huh i'm just gonna blow through those in one one quick swoop here um who grant hugh grant who grant hugh grant uh wears a lot of turtlenecks he also uh wears a tennis outfit that includes like these short white shorts his tennis outfit is buckwild <laughs> But I think it might actually have been in all his contracts in the 90s that he has to wear at least one tennis outfit per movie, because I feel like I've yeah. seen him in that outfit so many times. I think you're right. Um, I also wrote that this was Chris Columbus's first experience with round glasses, because he wears a lot of round glasses in this movie, so maybe he <laughs> learned how to film round glasses and frame them from this movie. You never know. Um... Her wedding dress, I said that is a choice wedding dress. Choice. (laughs) It was choice. It was like if you had a slutty Halloween costume, but also it was a wedding dress and you were nine months pregnant. Yeah. That was how that that looked. I was confused about that scene for minutes. (laughs) Because I... 
I thought this is just bad storytelling in action. I thought she had gone into labor because she kind of had. Right. And then they were like, we're going to go get married. And then like three days go by and they go get married. Yes. And they're at the church. And I was like, so did she have the baby? But then she's pregnant at the church. (laughs) And then she some stuff happens and she does go into labor. And I was like, what? Yeah. It was weird. It That, I think, was more confusing because it didn't hit the right rom-com notes at the right time, so you were very displaced, mm. and you're like, I don't know what's happening. Speaking of displaced, do you know what rom-com note they definitely didn't hit at the right time or place? What? Was the grand romantic gesture. Uh, right in the middle of the movie? <laughs> like, smack dab in the middle of the movie. And then there's, like another smaller romantic gesture and then there's like the scene where he races to the hospital which i think maybe was supposed to be related yeah to the idea of romantic gestures yeah i just was when it when the first when what i identify as being the true grand romantic gesture of this movie happened at like literally the halfway point i looked at my like timeline thing And was like, so what's left? Yeah. I was also confused because they basically... That happens. They get married, and then he brings her to their house, but she's never seen the nursery that he put in their house? Well, because she'd moved out. Right, but in those, like, three days, they hadn't been there? Yeah. It was very confusing. So here's the thing. So she moves out because he does, he's like doing a bad job of changing his life for babies and she tries to dump him. Right. And he, oh, because he was playing tennis instead of going to the ultrasound. So she got mad, dumped him. So he gets to the ultrasound late. The doctor gives him a videotape of the ultrasound, which I was never offered and I had a fuckload of ultrasound. So. I just, like, am annoyed by that. Um, (laughs) Not that I'd, like, go back and watch them, but, like, I'd like to have had the option if Hugh Grant had the option. (laughs) So he goes back to his apartment, which is now empty because his girlfriend has left him, and he pops in the tape, and he's, like, watching his small child, like, bump around in there, and now he suddenly has feelings and i just want to stop for a minute and get on my feminist soapbox because the only reason he was suddenly into this kid is because it was a boy oh boy he makes it very clear and there's um a tandem subplot with like their weird couple friends yep where the yep. husband's convinced he's having a boy, and he's so fucking excited because he's having a boy, so he goes and buys some sports shit because it's having a boy. Yeah. And then it turns out to be a girl, and everyone's, like, making jokes about how disappointed they are that it's a girl because he already bought sports shit. He's like, but I bought a football! Yep. That happens. But <laughs> Hugh Grant gets to have a boy. So I'm just saying, I see you, Chris Columbus. <laughs> So then he gets all emotional and is like, but wait, I want to be a father now. And <laughs> then he, like, builds a nursery and that's the that's it. That's the whole thing. Oh, that's so weird. 
<laughs> there were also some things that like made me uncomfortable in this movie. Mainly the scene towards the beginning where they're in bed and they suggest that he's into something she's doing in the bed and then they find out there's a small child in the bed. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. not related to them or anything, just like a small child randomly was there. And it's I was the child of the people they end up being friends with. I was uncomfortable. <laughs> that was really just not That was like no. one of the most alarming things I've seen ever in my life. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Like, I don't know if that was acceptable in the 90s, but it wasn't cute. It was just bad. It doesn't seem like it, but, I mean, we also managed to get through all of Home Alone, and there's some real (laughs) questionable stuff there, so. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was questionable was the Robin Williams Russian doctor? Yeah. That was, like... (laughs) had the taste of, like, not even the 90s, maybe, <laughs> like, the f- 40s? <laughs> yeah. Like, it was, like... When was that acceptable? I don't know. It was some seriously weird slapstick shit, though. Yeah. It, it, it did the job it was trying to do, but it was a little rough. <laughs> Super rough. It's Um, one of those things that did not age well. No. The one thing that I thought was, like, legitimately funny was their friend's other kid who was really into romance novels. (laughs) (laughs) She was, like... it, It wasn't in a cute way. It was in, like, an alarming way. And she would sit next to Hugh Grant and be like... Let's, I don't know, she would, like, tell him this whole story from a romance novel, and they were just like, yeah, this is how she is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I have two quotes about this movie. Okay. That I think are just, like, beautiful. Okay. Well, one of them's beautiful, one of them's alarming. I'm ready. Um, Since we're on... Things that are alarming and also men. Let's start with that one. So this is from RogerEbert.com, and this is the review that they put out at the time. It's like in 1995 when it came out. Yep. Um, overall, not impressed. But <laughs> this one line stands out. Okay. Um, and, of course, there is the obligatory screaming in the delivery room, as more does every actress's dream, the big childbirth scene. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Guys, is is there something I missed about the female experience that this is... Uh, uh, there's a bug in my room. Um, that, <laughs> that this is every actress's dream? <laughs> wow. <laughs> sorry. Wow. It's like a weird beetle or something. Ew. Um... But yeah, I like if there are any actresses out there, famous or otherwise, listening to the show, <laughs> would you mind just like popping in and letting me know if this is like a thing in acting? Like, does every <laughs> woman go into acting and it's just like, 
man, I hope someday I can pretend to give birth in front of a camera. Like, arguably, it doesn't take that much acting, does it? Like, you just shout so. a little, and they put water on your face? Yeah, like, look a little constipated for a little while. Like, out of all the acting you can do, is that really the best? I, I mean, it doesn't... Having gone through childbirth now, it doesn't seem like some of the more important type of acting you can do. <laughs> is it not every girl's dream? I it's like every girl's dream and my destiny. <laughs> oh wow. Just like just like men, you just say some stuff sometimes. Oh men. That's, that's just what I want you to take away from this experience is like wow you say some stuff. Wow. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, um, oh, also he ends it with, he's talking about how charming the lead actors are. And he goes, the charm doesn't happen, um, wait, the charm doesn't happen because the movie doesn't care about them as people. (laughs) They have little human dimension. They are tools of the plot. And it's unfair to ask actors to supply qualities that the screenplay doesn't account for. (laughs) This is the story of Chris Columbus. (laughs) And it's the sickest, gnarliest burn. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, So then this is a quote from a New York Times review from 1995. Um, And it reads, Carrying a film of Mr. Columbus's means three things. Mastering the director's patented screen take. Think of Edward Munch, then of Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Oh, no. Summoning half-real emotion in totally false surroundings, the filmmaker's preferred setting is a materialist fairyland, ideally at Christmas time. Yeah. And lending comic buoyancy <laughs> to a story idea that's actually rather mean-spirited without the antic acting and nutty pratfalls. Wow. <laughs> that is the sickest bird. So many sick burns. Oh my god. Uh Uh-huh. But it's not wrong. No, not at all. Like, this is a review that is openly recognizing that Christopher Columbus is a guy who can only do one. Yes. He absolutely is. Yeah. So, so, speaking of his forte. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I need to share with the audience slash get your overall thoughts and opinions. (laughs) about the part in this movie where it takes a rom-com and it becomes Home Alone, which is when she goes into labor. And they're in San Francisco. So he drives on these, like, hilly roads and they have the car, like, fly off the hill and, like, land. And then they run into all these, like, wacky characters who have their own problems and all need to go to the ER at the same time. And, like, talk about breaking format. Like, I didn't know where Uh I was. It was so batshit crazy. And then... And it didn't even stop there. No! Well, and then it ends up in this dramatic birthing scene. (laughs) Which is, like, the equivalent... Of the burglars when they drop the, like, tool thing down the stairs. Yep. Like, she ends up in the same delivery room as the other friend 
And yep. there's the one Russian doctor to deal with both of them. Yep. And I, I don't even know where to begin with that. <laughs> and her, the, the friend husband has a camera. Oh, yep. And he, like, tries to stick it up Julianne Moore's yep. hospital gown. Yep. Yep, there's and like then Hugh Grant smashes it, and then they get into like a barroom brawl, and like roll over birthing balls and shit. Oh my god, there's so much slapstick and so much bad. Oh, and then at one point the Russian doctor is like on Hugh Grant's shoulders as he's having this like barroom brawl, and his head is up Julianne Moore's gown, and so he's like getting thrusted up and down under her uh... gown while her legs are up in stirrups. Uh, <laughs> can't make this shit up like and the two women are just like <laughs> screaming at each other from across the room I was gonna ask you how you would feel sharing a room with someone else in that very moment someone you uh, knew <laughs> if it you know if it was someone I didn't know I think it would go a lot better <laughs> right <laughs> um I was very fortunate to not have to share a room for any part of my birthing experience. Yeah, dear lord. Um, but like, yeah, that would have been just aggressive. Although I will say, um I so I've always assumed that like this the like primal screaming thing was like mostly a myth. Yeah. But there was a woman in the room next to me. And, like, the the birthing center at my hospital has, like, pretty big rooms. And I was in, like, a particularly large room. And um, you could hear her <laughs> screaming on the other side of the wall. <laughs> so, like, I was, there was, like, a point, I can edit this out, but there was, like, a point where I was, like, kind of blacked out and hallucinating. Oh, no. I could hear this, like, far-off scream, and then, like, my mom, Lauren, and the midwife, like, all started laughing, and I was, like, having this hallucination about a house, and I was just like, oh, what is no. happening right now? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then, after I got my epidural and I started to come to again, you could still hear her screaming in the hallway, and so, like, the anesthesiologist had just come out of her room and was, like, coming to check on me, and my nurse and the midwife were all, like, ragging on him because <laughs> he had just, like, given this woman who was, like, screaming across, like, the entire floor of the hospital her epidural. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that happens in real life apparently that is wild <laughs> oh my god yeah well <laughs> yeah yeah oh man there were no hijinks with russian doctors though no there were not the, the joke about him, like, not understanding how to pronounce things got old so fast, and they kept oh milking it. Oh, my God. There was a long string of it. Uh-huh. During the scene I, that was, like, a half hour long. Yeah, I wish I could remember some of it, because some of it was good. He, like, couldn't remember yeah. what an epidural was called. Yeah. Yeah. It was... It was a lot. It, there, it was just, like so high energy like after a certain point it 
was overwhelming. Like, I think my brain just turned off as, like, a defense mechanism to wait for the scene to end. (laughs) It went on for so long! And that was, like, on the tail end of, like, this 15-minute scene of them, like, driving through San Francisco. Right. Inexplicably picking up randos that we never saw again. Right. It was so bad. It was so bad. It was so aggro. (laughs) I also wrote down that the dialogue in this movie is like someone looked up the general symptoms of pregnancy and was like, okay, here you go. There's a scene, like, at the one-third point in the movie or something, where she's been pregnant for a little while, and they're out to lunch, and she's like, you know, the last few months have been really hard for me with the vomiting and whatnot. Yeah, like, all of her dialogue in this whole movie is just, like, listing out the symptoms of each trimester. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, not even well. No. (laughs) It's like, here's this printout from WebMD, just kind of read it. (laughs) Literally. I mean, at this point, Chris Columbus's children had been born, I think. Oh, they had. At least one of them. They were in this fucking movie. I found them. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Was was the child who played Susan Bones the one that was in the bed with Hugh Grant? Uh, That's what I thought. I don't know if it was in the bed or if it was the one. Oh, no, it would have been the same one. So, yes. She was also on the beach. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah, so Susan Bones is the one that, like, interrupted Hugh Grant getting to bone down. (laughs) 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 That's really well played. (laughs) Oh, wow. Just the next time you watch Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and <laughs> Professor McGonagall calls Susan Bones up to the sorting hat, I just want you to picture her <laughs> leaping out of a bed <laughs> at naked Hugh Grant. Because <laughs> oh, that's pretty much what this movie was. That is exactly what this movie was. <laughs> oh. Uh, I do have one more thing to highlight from this movie. Oh, sure. Um, which was legitimately funny to me. Those, those rare, rare moments. Um, Hugh Grant, when he is single in, like, the halfway point of this movie, goes to a party. (laughs) Oh my god. Or throws a party. It's unclear. Uh, but there's a scene... (laughs) Where he's in this party, and he's sitting in the corner holding his cat. Yep. And I don't understand how that hasn't become a meme in the year of our Lord 2018. (laughs) We should make that happen. Because it's impeccable. It's like a perfect shot, and he's just sitting in the corner with his cat and his beer. He's got the dopiest sad face. It would do really well on the internet. It would. It would. Can we talk about the greatest con of all of time, which is the idea that Hugh Grant <laughs> and any of his characters are at all cool? <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Hugh Grant is a really big fucking dweeb. <laughs> I know, he's the doofiest doof of all time. <laughs> 
He's just a big, doofy man. And for some reason, his entire career has been spent playing men that are, like, in their universes supposed to be cool. But they're dorks. Every single one of them. Like, is that the appeal, though? Maybe. Like, he's a nerd boy who learned how to be cool. He does do incredible physical comedy. He that does. he never gets credit He's for. He's a better actor than I think I've ever given him credit for. He does work, but he does only do one, and it is that. He does only do one. <laughs> it's I think like, he knows that, though. I think when he became too cool, like, legitimately in the badlands of rom-com era, right. I think that's when, like, the mystique of Hugh Grant fell apart. Yeah. Like, he was in that movie with Sandra Bullock about, like, being a high-power executive. Right. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, Hugh Grant. <laughs> yeah. Like, he needs to like have that- better as a doof. That little haircut. <laughs> and wear the short white shorts. Like, who are you? <laughs> He's such a dweeb. Uh, like, good for him, though. It's I mean, good stuff. It's I know good, he's good problematic, stuff. but, but... It, problematic AF. <laughs> uh, but he's like the picture of '90s rom coms in every way. We didn't talk about Jeff Goldblum though. Oh, go for it. He he was a whole lot of a thing. <laughs> like. I didn't know Jurassic Park, Jeff Goldblum was in other things in the 90s. Maybe I should have. But I hadn't crossed paths with him until this moment when he had an earring and was just a weird, weird dude. Super weird. Like, not that he's not weird now, but he's another one that can only do one. I just didn't realize he'd tapped into the Chris Columbus universe. I feel like Chris Columbus was shockingly good at finding people. I mean, this is like a star-studded movie. Yes. But... And other films of his are, too. So what does he have that he can get all these people when his movies are, like, horseshit garbage? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, this movie did, like, reasonably well in the box office when it came out, so, like... Maybe he just has, I don't know, been able to make enough money that people are like, you know, this requires very little of me emotionally and Mm. I'll make money. (laughs) I'll be able to do that birthing scene I've always dreamed of. I'll be able to live my dream of my big childbirth scene. You know... On that note, if it really is every actress's dream to have a big childbirth scene, I really feel like Julianne Moore got cheated in this one. (laughs) You're not wrong. I think she deserved better. (laughs) Just think about how many days they spent in that set. Oh my god. Like, days. Yeah, because there's a lot of cuts in that scene. Yeah. And they're in there for so long. Yep. There's, like, the fight and the yep. the births. I was there's honestly the- half expecting a child to, like, pop out and go flying across the room. 
Yeah. Based on the tone Honestly, of this movie. Honestly, they kind of, like, let us down with that. <laughs> right? Can we talk about the fact that on the, the film poster, Hugh Grant is the only actor with top billing? What do you mean? Julianne Moore doesn't have her name on the poster. Are you kidding me? I am telling you the God's honest truth right here. This is the patriarchy at work. Wow. He also has, like, 65% of the, like, area on the poster to his face. Yep. Yep. I don't understand why she's whispering in his ear. Yeah, what is she telling him exactly? (laughs) (laughs) I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) That's not how you tell people that you're pregnant? They also really didn't do anything with the whole plot of him being a child psychologist? No, I kind of thought that there was, like, going to be something interesting there. Because there could have been. There could have been. Like, the reason he's so wishy-washy... I feel like they tried to do this with, like, the client of his that was an asshole. But, like, he would be so wishy-washy about having kids because he's, like, worked with all these troubled youth and so he knows what could go wrong. Right. You know... They really didn't tell that story. You know, this is based on a French movie. I just saw that. Did you see that It was also Hugh Grant's... No. It was also Hugh Grant's first U.S. movie. Really? Yeah. How? He hadn't been in a U.S. movie yet. So this is the movie that brought Hugh Grant to America. So really... This movie gave birth to <laughs> the rom-coms of the 2000s. Do we have to thank Chris Columbus on this Columbus Day? I think on this Columbus Day in the year of our Lord, 2018, we must give thanks to Christopher Columbus for the import <laughs> of Hugh Grant. <laughs> This is quite a turn of events. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, that's buck wild. Wow, Hugh Grant has had a tough time lately also. Yeah. Like he has not been in many things. No, I think he's I think he's good, you know? He served his time. Yeah, I think he's definitely done. I did just see an interview that, um, I don't know how old the interview was, I found it doing research for this, that um, he regrets being in this movie because it's a 20th Century Fox movie, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, and if he had Uh. known it was owned by Rupert Murdoch, he wouldn't have done it, which is, like, all all well and good, like, thank you, Hugh Grant, for your morals and whatnot, (laughs) But when I first read that this was the mov- the one movie he regrets being in, I was super stoked. And then it wasn't for the reason I thought it, it would be. It wasn't. <laughs> so. Oh. Oh, Hugh Grant. Yeah. Wow, this is so wild. Uh-huh. He also, like, I'm looking at his IMDb and he really hasn't been in as many rom-coms as I thought he had, but for some reason he's, like, the poster child of rom-coms. Hmm. 
Is it just that his, like, higher grossing movies were rom-coms and then he was also in other stuff, too? Yeah. It must be, right? Like, I swear I've seen him in more than are in this list. I'm just Obviously not. Obviously not. Oh, Hugh Grant. Obviously not. You surprise me. So. So. Columbus Day. (sighs) What are we going to watch next time? Because we have to decide it now. That's how we do this. Columbus movies. We're getting there. It has to be one he directed, right? Not just anything. I suppose directed or written, but, but not I think produced, he because that's not right. Fair. Right, I think he's directed most of the ones he's written. I don't even know he wrote anything. He wrote nine months. Of course he did. Oh my god! <laughs> I can't believe you didn't know that. I had missed that little detail. Yeah, no, he was the writer as well as the director. Woof. Okay, here we go. He's directing Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> I hate that. He wrote all the Gremlins movies, and he wrote the Goonies. I want to watch Stepmom. That's the other rom-com with him that I've never seen. I don't know if it's a rom-com. Um, I think it's a rom-com. I don't know. He wrote a movie... Or no, a TV series he wrote a few episodes for called Galaxy High School. Nope. That could be something. Wow. His directing credits are also pretty slim, to be honest. Holy shit, y'all. He was on Percy Jackson. Yeah. I did not realize that he was also directing Percy Jackson. I mean, it's the logical next step for him. I'm not familiar with anything about it other than that he was involved. I, um, I've read bits and pieces of the first Percy Jackson book. Um, cause we were reading it in my classroom, but I didn't do the reading every afternoon. Mm-hmm. So I only read like random chapters and gotcha. I've seen bits and pieces of the movie because when I was in residential, the kids would watch it at bedtime, but, um, movie time was only like a half hour and they would watch it every night, but I didn't work half of the week. <laughs> so I would miss like <laughs> hours of it at a time. <laughs> um, so... What I know of it, though, is that it is a very Chris Columbus-friendly text. That sounds about right. Uh, we could do Jingle All the Way. Where's that? Oh, he was only... No, he was only a producer on that one. Mm. We could do Mrs. Doubtfire? Oh, you know what? We should do Mrs. Doubtfire. He also directed Adventures in Babysitting? Oh, boy. <laughs> in 1987? A babysitter must battle her way through the big city after she's been stranded there with the kid she's looking after. Does he only do one? He does only do one. That's he the has same a weird thing plot for kids. as Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. <laughs> yep. We could definitely do Mrs. Doubtfire. Either could... one of those is good. I'm up for either one. Let's do the babysitter one. Alright, we'll do it. What's it called? Adventures in Babysitting. All right, y'all. It is in the spreadsheet, so it's official. Columbus Day 2019. Get hype. And then we're going to go back to the first Harry Potter, I think, and gripe about it all over again. Yep. Yep. Yep, we're just going to talk about these two movies back and forth every year. It's going to be great. 
I'm like 95% sure we're never going to have anything new to say about it either, but I just feel like my gripes are like so evergreen that it doesn't matter if we talk about them a hundred times. It doesn't matter because Chris Columbus would talk about them a hundred times too. And our Russian accents will never be as bad as Robin Williams directed by Chris Columbus. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, if you have any thoughts about Chris Columbus or would like to share the ways that you celebrate Columbus Day, you can find us on the internet. Uh, We're at heywatch.com, heywatchwithus.com. I don't remember. (laughs) Just kidding. We're at heywatchwithus.com or uh, heywatchwithus on Twitter. Wow. Do you know where you are? also, (laughs) I don't... Where am I? What am I doing? (laughs) It's been a long time since I've done this. I know. Okay. Hey, watch it. Hey, watch it. God damn it. Oh, wow. Hold on. New take. You can find us on the internet at heywatchwithus.com, at heywatchwithus on Twitter, or heywatchwithus at gmail.com if you would like to email us, which we do have a couple of emails that we have not responded to, and I apologize, but it happened in the middle of my childbearing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for reaching out, though. (laughs) We liked hearing from you during our hiatus. <laughs> we did. Um, we're also members of the Thought Bubble Audio Network. They have other shows that talk about their childbearing significantly less than this one, <laughs> such as Beer with Geeks and Academy Rewind and Supergirl TV Talk. And there's a bunch of new shows that have come out also on the network. So you can go listen to them. Um, you can find them at Thought Bubble FM on Twitter or thoughtbubbleaudio.com, um, and they also have a Patreon if you want to do, like, the supporting small artist thing. You did so good. Thank you. You can find us wherever you find podcasts. We're on literally all the podcast places, and you can rate and review us in those places, specifically iTunes, if you really want to help us out. Yay! That would be so great. That would be awesome. I don't know what to tell them to tell us. Maybe... Tell us your favorite Chris Columbus disaster movie. They're all disaster movies. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I like that. Gotta build the roster for the Columbus days to come. It's true. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Sorry. I had my point taken over by a yawn. That's all right. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're too old for this shit. <laughs>